0: Well, it's good to be back to reality. Uh, and what I mean by that is um, when Kel and I had an opportunity this last weekend to be in Alabama, Muscle Shoals, Alabama. First time we've ever been to Alabama. It's a pretty big deal for a Yankee to, to be in Alabama, right? So, um, anyway, um, we had the privilege of um, serving at a, at a conference. It was called the True Church Conference. And. Um, the pastor Jeff Noblett said, "You know, Ken, you're somewhat of a celebrity around here because we've all read your book, Expository Listening, and we've gone through it two times now in our grow groups, our small groups. Um, and they have; they've developed a, a whole curriculum around the book, um, and they have their their small groups every Sunday morning. They just have done away with Sunday school, and uh, they have everybody go to their small group or grow group on Sunday morning. Imagine doing that first service. You go to grow group, and then you come to church second service." Might make, might make sermon application a little difficult if you're hearing the sermon after the group. But anyway, um, that's how they do it. And so they've been very encouraged and blessed by that material that the Lord just developed through our ministry here at Lakeside Bible Church, right? And I'm talking about all of us together learning God's word over the years. And, um, and so anyway, it was in, in some ways, it was, it was preaching to the choir. Uh, they kind of already knew it, and it was just fun uh, to, be, uh, to be there with them. Um, thanks for your prayers. We really, really appreciate it. We felt them. Thanks for your coaching. Uh, for those of you that are from Alabama or spend time in Alabama, you, you, you basically told me, Ken, you're going to have to talk a lot slower, okay? Because uh, <laughs> I didn't tell them that. I didn't think that would be a good way to lead. Yeah, they told me I should talk slow to you guys. Um, anyway, it was a really great time. And it was a little out of my comfort zone, and what I mean by that is um, I, I didn't grow up in a Southern Baptist church, or I haven't run in Southern Baptist circles. I'm sure some of you have. How many of you guys kind of, that's your background, Southern Baptist? Okay, so I expect some amens out of you this morning. Tell me to preach. If you hear a point you agree with, you like, you got to tell me to preach it. Um, that's, it's fun how they cheer you on, right, uh, as, you, uh, as you preach. And so... Um, It was really a a blessing. I was very humbled and convicted by just the the sincerity and purity of devotion to Christ. They just loved Jesus. And uh, they had a high regard for the preacher and and the preaching of God's word. In fact, um, I was a little, um, uh, had facility envy. Um, They have a beautiful uh, campus, but their sanctuary uh, I have never been in a higher pulpit than when I was uh, stood in John Calvin's pulpit in Geneva, where you have to walk up two flights of stairs to get up to John Calvin's pulpit, which is like a little bird's nest that looks out over the congregation, kind of hangs out over the congregation. Uh, really, just to exalt the Reformation was all about exalting the Word of God over the people, right, and its role in in, in the church. And so, yeah, I had to walk up quite a few stairs to get up there, and. It's just kind of right out there, and uh, I told Kelly when I was done preaching, I said, man, I, I felt exposed. I was like, you're right in the center, everybody's around you, and you're high up, and, uh, but it was just really cool the way that their architecture really um, you know, was, was demonstrating their commitment to the centrality and the exaltedness of the preaching of God's word. It was really, really cool, and then just their, their, their passion for the lost. Their 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 commitment to evangelism was very convicting. Uh, It was uh, not only their Bible conference; it was also their missions conference, kind of rolled into one. And so there was uh, testimony after testimony after testimony of all these people that they support all around the world, and all the church, all these churches they planted from people coming out of their church and just having a heart and a burden for a particular area of the country where there was a church that needed to be revitalized or whatever. And Uh, I I told the pastor at the end of the week, I said, man, I thought we were a missions-minded church, and I don't think we ever even mentioned the word. I don't think we know what that word means compared to what the Lord has been doing in and through you guys here. So it was very inspiring, very encouraging time. But I just wanted to give you that update, and we always um, look forward to those opportunities to really just take the things that we've been learning together here and and take them somewhere else and, and, and try them out at other churches, and it seems to be a blessing to them. So Just want you to know you were a blessing, uh, I think, along with us last weekend, and so uh, thank you just for being, uh, because frankly, if you guys weren't sitting here every Sunday morning, I'd have nothing to say to anybody, because you guys force me, encourage me, motivate me, stimulate me to study God's word, and come up with sermons every Sunday, right, to preach, and uh, and so you guys uh, are are very gracious uh, in that, Um, and so... Just wanted to include you in our experience last last weekend, but I did this morning. Want to just share with you a message that I preached last weekend there at uh, Grace Life uh, Church Muscle Shoals. By the way, if you're ever there, it's just kind of a about an hour west of Huntsville, Alabama, and so I know that's kind of the pipeline now with NASA and and uh, what's going on over there. It's kind of it seems like it's kind of a tech rocket Boeing kind of place now, so if you're ever in that area, I'd highly recommend you attend that church. I think you'll be really encouraged by it. But I want you to take your Bibles and turn with me to James chapter 1. James chapter 1, a passage that I know is familiar to most of us, if not all of us, but it's just a passage that whenever I return to it, I'm just uh, convicted afresh by what it has to say to us. And uh, this is so much a part of our DNA as a church, who we are as a church. Um, James chapter 1, verses 19 to 25. Let me read it for us, and then I'll pray, and we'll talk about it. James chapter 1, verse 19. James said, This you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility receive the word implanted which is able to save your souls. But prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For for once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But one who looks intently... At the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. Father, thank you for your precious word. Thank you that we have a copy of it, each one of us, a personal copy of your word. That was not the case for these readers that James was writing to. Uh, This was all they had uh, to go by. And so... I know this is a text that we're very familiar with. We've read it many times in our own Bibles. We can return to it anytime we want, and so we don't maybe sit uh, and listen as attentively uh, to these kinds of passages, just in light of the fact that we've become very familiar with them and we're very comfortable with them, and it's so easily accessible to us. But I just pray that you would give us fresh eyes to see, uh, fresh ears to hear, Uh, that we would walk away with some wonderful things, Lord, from this text that we could uh, apply to our lives. And uh, we know we need your Spirit's help to do that. And so we ask that you would be pleased to uh, work among us by your Spirit this morning, illuminating us and applying uh, these verses to our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you're like most people, you don't look forward to going to the dentist. I actually look forward to going to the dentist now that our daughter is our dental hygienist, which is kind of fun because I go get my teeth cleaned and then we go have lunch and get caught up and it's a time I look forward to. Before then, however, the worst part about going to the dentist for me was having to endure the flossing sermon. Have you ever heard the flossing sermon? Um, There there was a particular dental hygienist at the dentist's office that that we used to go to who was like a hellfire and brimstone preacher when it came to flossing. I mean, she could bring it. Um, And every time she cleaned my teeth, I would just lie there waiting for her to light me up. I knew it was coming. And so somewhere in the course of my visit, she'd ask me, so, have you been flossing? And I would give her the same Lame answer every time, well, I can't lie to you. No, I haven't. And then she would proceed to remind me of all the benefits of flossing, all the potential consequences if I didn't floss regularly. And by the time she was done preaching to me, she could have played just as I am and I would repent it. I would have walked the aisle, signed the card, committed to flossing every night before I go to bed. And after the altar call, she would always reach into her goodie drawer like they do, right? And they pull out you know, a brand new toothbrush and she gave me a fresh container of floss, a brand new flossing tool, and she even showed me how easy it is to use. Just a few seconds. And I would listen courteously and sheepishly agree that she was right, that I needed to get into the habit of flossing, but I never did. Six months would go by and I'd be back at the dentist again hearing the same sermon that I had yet to apply. And when it came to listening to my dental hygienist about the importance of flossing, I have to admit to you today that it just went in one ear and out the other. And there were times when I would lie there getting my teeth cleaned and I would think to myself, I wonder if this is what it feels like for people to come to church knowing that they're going to hear me preach a sermon about something they know they should be doing or not doing, but they're not. They courteously listen to the sermon. They sheepishly agree that they need to do what God's word says, but they never do it. They simply let sermons go in one ear and out the other. And consequently, their life never changes because God's word never plants itself in their heart and their mind and takes root and grows and flourishes and transforms their life. We know that there's a lot of people in the church today that lack discernment, and so they listen to bad preaching that's hurting them and not helping them. But I think what's even more sad is that there are many discerning people who are listening to good preaching that should be helping them, but they're experiencing very little growth and change in their lives. Why is that? Well, because week after week, sermons, good sermons... Faithful sermons, biblical sermons, go in one ear and out the other without ever penetrating their minds, piercing their hearts, transforming their lives, and it's mainly because they're not applying what they hear. Joel Beakey um, wrote a helpful little book called The Family at Church, Listening to Sermons and Attending Prayer Meetings. He said this, quote, true listening means applying the word of God. If you do not practice the word of God after you've heard it, you have not truly listened to God's message. So I understand listening is hard work. And the hardest part of listening is doing something about what you hear. But you need to understand, once you hear the sermon, the ball's in your court. You need to do something about it. And I wrote down a a statement in my notes that I had to think about before I felt confident to say it out loud to you, because I'm not sure how you'll respond to this statement, but I think I can say it with biblical authority. This is the statement. Failure... To apply a sermon is sin. Failure to apply a sermon is sin. You say, whoa, whoa, pastor, you're getting way up in my grill right now. What are you talking about? You're making me real uncomfortable. Well, what did James say in this same letter, James chapter 4, verse 17? To one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is I can't hear you. Sin. <laughs> that's where I'm coming from. And so that's why it's so vital that we diligently seek to put what we hear into practice, which is which is the point James was making here in James chapter 1, verses 19 through 25. And, and in this passage, he emphasized two ways that we must react to God's word in order for it to to plant itself deep in our hearts where it can grow and flourish and produce the kind of changes in our lives that God intends it to and that God desires it to. So what are these two ways that we must react to God's word? Number one, we must be receptive. That's verses 19 to 21. And number two, we need to be responsive. We need to, first of all, accept it, but then we have to... Apply it. So let's look first of all together at this first way of reacting to God's word, and that is we must be receptive. We must accept it. And in these first three verses, verses 19 to 21, we see that receptivity to God's word is marked by five things. The first one is teachability. Teachability. Notice verse 19. This you know, my beloved brethren... But everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. So James started out here with these three rapid-fire commands. And, and these three commands seem to kind of stand alone as three good pieces of advice. And I'm sure you've quoted these to yourself. You've quoted them to others in various situations and circumstances, and they do. They, they kind of seem to have a wide uh, application, but the context in which these three commands land, tells us that they're not, James didn't intend them to just be general commands. They specifically refer to how we should react to the word of God. Look at verse 18, the verse that comes right before it. In the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. And then verse 21 and 22, therefore putting aside all filthiness, All there remains of wickedness, in humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls, but prove yourselves doers of the word. So, when it comes to God's word, we should be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. And I think each one of those three commands demonstrates teachability. We need to be quick to hear, or eager to hear, or attentive, or or that we need to listen carefully. Jesus said it multiple times. Uh, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Uh, Luke 8, 18, he said, Take care how you listen. Someone has rightly said that God gave us two ears and one mouth to remind us that we should listen twice as much as we speak. And again, as I already mentioned in the opening prayer, at the time that James wrote this letter, Christians didn't have their own personal copy of the scriptures, and so they depended on on hearing it read and explained in public services. And so it was imperative for them to to pay careful attention when the Old Testament scriptures were being expounded or when an apostle was was preaching about the personal work of Christ. So James says we need to be quick to hear, but we also need to be slow to speak. We need to be slow to speak. Don't, Don't speak too quickly. Don't speak rashly. Don't don't be eager to share your beliefs and, and opinions. Proverbs eighteen, one and two talk about the person that 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 loves to um, basically um, hear the sound of his own voice. That uh, he, he's not a really, a really good listener. He's just he's because he's talking all the time, and and he would rather hear his own voice than the voice of others. Ecclesiastes chapter five, verse one says this, guard your steps as you go to the house of God and draw near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools. For they do not know that they're doing evil. Do not be hasty in word or impulsive in thought to bring up a matter in the presence of God. For God is in heaven and you are on the earth. Therefore, let your words be, what? Few. And again, in James' day, church services were a little different. They were less structured than we have them today, or that they are today. Uh, people had the freedom to uh, dialogue with the preacher um, in, during the sermon, um, and more than just uh, a hearty amen, right, if you're a Southern Baptist. Um, but this was, you no, know, they, could, they could interrupt the preacher, uh, they could uh, disagree with the preacher, they could... Debate with the preacher, and so James was exhorting them not not to be so quick to debate with the preacher. After all, if the preacher is, is doing his job right and simply expounding God's word and not his own ideas and opinions, then you're actually not debating the preacher, you're debating God. So he says we need to be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger, Slow to anger. The idea here is we need to avoid allowing a deep-seated attitude of hostility or or a feeling of bitterness and resentment build up inside of us in regards to God's Word. People have a tendency to get angry at God's Word when it confronts their sin or uh, conflicts with a cherished personal belief or some pattern of behavior and usually their anger is directed toward the one who preaches it to them. And so, we push back. Uh, we bow up. Some examples that I could share with you. One is in 1 Kings chapter 22. One of my favorite Old Testament characters. His name is Micaiah. King Ahab wanted to go to battle along with the king of Israel, Jehoshaphat, at the time. And the king of Israel said, um, hey, so did you get the green light from all your prophets? And uh, the king said, yep. But he said, there is yet one man by whom we may inquire of the Lord, but I hate him. Because he has not prophesied good concerning me, but evil, he is Micaiah, son of Imlam." And Jehoshaphat said, well, let's go see what he has to say. And so they sent a messenger to get Micaiah, and this is 1 Kings 22:13. the messenger who went to summon Micaiah spoke to him, saying, behold now, the words of the prophets are uniformly favorable to the king. Please let your word be like the word of one of them and speak favorably. So I think this messenger was probably well-intentioned, and he was probably just trying to stay in the good graces of the king, and he's like, hey, Micaiah, just so you know, Everyone else is telling him to go for it. They've told him what he wants to hear. And so I just wanna encourage you to do the same thing and we'll all be good. And this is what Micaiah said. As the Lord lives, what the Lord says to me, that I shall speak. I love that conviction, that boldness, that commitment to say what God would say, not what people wanna hear or you know what people wanna hear. And by the way, he told the king, uh, hey, everybody else tells you to go for it. I'm telling you, if you go for it, you're gonna be killed. And so Ahab said, well, fine. I'm gonna throw you in prison. So he threw Micaiah in prison, and guess what? King Ahab went off the battle and got killed. But he died with hatred in his heart, anger in his heart, right, towards Micaiah. How about Jesus when he went to his hometown of Nazareth and revealed to the people he grew up around that he was the fulfillment of the passage in Isaiah that talks about the Messiah. And what did they do? They got angry with him and they wanted to throw him off a cliff and kill him. How about Stephen? In Acts chapter seven, Stephen was confronting the Jews about being stiff-necked and uncircumcised in their heart. This is Acts 7:51. Their ears were always resisting the Holy Spirit, saying, "Hey, you know, you did to Jesus what you did to all the prophets. You just persecuted him and you killed him, you murdered him." And it says when they heard this, they were cut to the quick and they began gnashing their teeth at him. They were angry at him. For what? He was saying and then it says this in verse 57 they cried out with a loud voice and covered their ears and rushed at him with one impulse. They literally put their hands over their ears. They didn't want to hear what he had to say and stoned him to death. Even believers sometimes can get upset with the preacher. Paul had said some hard things to the Galatians that they needed to hear and uh, they didn't all respond real well, and so in Galatians 4.16, he says, so I, have I become your enemy by telling you the truth? I mean, I thought we were friends. thought we were on the same team here. Have I become your enemy because I've simply tried to tell you the truth? So again, James was, I think, trying to diffuse the, the anger, the resentment, the hostility that apparently plagued some, some of the believers to whom he, he wrote this letter, and he, he went on to say there in verse Uh, 20, he said, for the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. In other words, the reason why we should be slow to anger is because unlike righteous anger or righteous indignation that's directed towards sin, this kind of anger, unrighteous indignation, is counterproductive to what God wants to do in our lives. God wants to produce his righteousness in us so that we live a right life, that we uh, do what's right in his eyes. And getting angry at his word will keep that from happening. See, we're, we're going in the wrong direction that, at that point. And so that's why it's imperative that we maintain an attitude of teachability whenever we listen to God's word preached. So that's the first mark of being receptive to God's word, teachability. But there's another one, another mark, and that is purity. Purity. Notice verse 21. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility receive the word implanted which is able to save your souls. Now the main command in this verse is clearly receive the word, but James instructed us that before we can receive the word, we must get rid of the sin in our lives. That's what he means by therefore putting aside all Filthiness. The picture here is that of taking off some dirty clothes. This was one of Paul's favorite analogies uh, that he would use to describe the sanctification process, uh, the putting off and the the putting on principle uh, in Ephesians 4 and Colossians 3. Uh, Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 2, we just studied this. um, Verse 1, therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander like newborn babies long for the pure milk of the word so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. So you can't be like that newborn baby longing for the pure milk of the word that, 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 that nourishes you and causes you to grow and mature in Christ if you have not put aside this list of sins, malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander. Now James didn't list specific sins like like Peter and Paul did but he refers to sin in a generic way he just uses the word filthiness therefore putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness that that word filthiness is a medical term you ready for this for earwax how ironic So having sin in our life is like like having wax in our ears and the more we sin, the more wax gets built up in our ears and it it keeps us from hearing what God wants to say to us. And so in order to to receive God's word, we must be constantly using the Q-tip of confession, if you will, to clean out the sin that is in our hearts. So we must be teachable, we must be pure. But another mark of of a receptive heart is humility. Humility, notice he says, therefore putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility received the word implanted. Instead of reacting in anger to God's word, instead of bowing up and pushing back, James told his readers to be humble hearers. And this word humility or humility yeah, humble here just refers to a, a gentle and meek attitude that that causes us to set aside our own preferences, our own opinions, and humbly submit. You ready for this to the authority of God's word, Isaiah sixty six two. But to this one I will look to him who is humble and contrite of spirit, and who trembles at my word. John Stott, one of my preaching heroes, who's now with the Lord wrote a lot of different books and it seems like the subject of, of listening to preaching was on his heart, was a part of his ministry because it popped up in all sorts of different books, not even about preaching. For example, he wrote a book called The Contemporary Christian and he said this, quote, an essential element in Christian humility is the willingness to hear and receive God's word." Perhaps the greatest of all our needs is to take our place again humbly, quietly, and expectantly at the feet of Jesus Christ in order to listen attentively to his word. And of course, Mary served as the model of this as her sister Martha was running around the kitchen getting ready uh, or trying to get a meal ready for Jesus and the disciples. It says that Mary, in Luke chapter 10, sat quietly and humbly at Jesus' feet, listening to the Lord's words, I think another good example is Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter three verse nine, that when he heard God's voice, remember what he said: "Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening." That's the attitude to have when we come before the preaching of God's word. We should have the same humble, submissive heart as young Samuel, and just. Just sit there with an attitude of, Lord, speak. Your servant is listening. So humility. There's a fourth mark of a receptive heart, and that is hospitality. Hospitality. Notice it says, therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility, receive the word, implant it. We know that word hospitable means to, to warmly and, and generously welcome a guest or to be friendly towards someone. And so when P- James says that we should receive the word implanted, we need to welcome the truth of God's word with open arms. We, we shouldn't, again, uh, bow up or, re, or, or, or push back or resist it or argue with it. We should just accept it. And again, the Thessalonians and the Bereans are stellar examples of what it looks like to be hospitable hearers. First Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, Paul said, We constantly thank God that when you received from us the Word of God's message, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the Word of God, which also performs its work in you believe. Acts 17:11, Luke records: Now these were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, for they received The word with great eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. The Bereans. So James said, when we welcome the word in our hearts, notice it says, receive the word implanted, it's like like a seed that that takes root in our hearts and begins to grow and, and change us. And the more we read and the more we meditate on and sit under the preaching of God's word, the more our spiritual life flourishes and the more fruitful we become as Christians. There's a final mark of a receptive heart and that is, we could say, gravity. Gravity, which is, again, um, if you have read expository listening, if you've heard the sermons series that I did years ago, you know that this is where it all starts that that you'll never be the kind of hearer the listener that God expects you to be wants you to be if you don't grasp the gravity of what is happening when the word of God is preached And James touches on that here, I think, in this last phrase. He says, therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility, receive the word implanted, here it is, which is able to save your souls. Your souls at stake, in other words. And James affirmed here what is taught throughout the Bible, that the scriptures are what God uses to save us. He already mentioned it in verse 18, right? In the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, talking about we were born again through the scriptures. Uh, Paul told uh, Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, verse 15, from childhood, you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus? We just uh, studied in in uh, Peter, First Peter chapter one, verse twenty three. For you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is through the living and enduring Word of God. Paul said in First Corinthians chapter one, verse twenty one. God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. Second Corinthians chapter two, verse fifteen. One of my favorite. Verses uh, from, from Paul's writings, he says, for we are a fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing to the one an aroma from death to death to the other an aroma from life to life. Who is adequate for these things? And Paul was simply describing that when he considered the the that the eternal destiny of the souls of his hearers hung in the balance while he preached he he was overwhelmed with his own inadequacy and the gravity of his task one of my favorite books i've ever read on preaching is by john piper it's called the supremacy of god in preaching and this is what he says, talking uh, just describing his own experience as a, as a as a preacher, which hopefully applies to any of you who have the opportunity to teach God's word, whether it's to you know the the three year olds on Sunday morning or the you know fifth graders on Wednesday night adventure club. Uh, maybe you lead uh, a bible study for your grow group if you handle the word of god hopefully this you, you can relate to this sense that piper describes again based on the example of paul he said this quote you wake up on sunday morning and you can smell the smoke of hell on one side and feel the crisp breezes of heaven on the other You go to your study and you look down at your pitiful manuscript and you kneel down and cry, God, this is so weak. Who do I think I am? What audacity to think that in three hours, my words will be the odor of death to death and the fragrance of life to life. My God, who is sufficient for these things? And so if the gravity of preaching God's word grips the preacher like that, how much more should it grip those listening to it? This is serious stuff. And when we realize our eternal destiny hangs in the balance, whenever we hear God's word preached, we'll respond with great seriousness, with great attentiveness. So understanding the gravity of the word of God is essential to being open and receptive to it. And so being receptive to God's word is marked by a willingness to receive it with a a teachable heart, a a pure heart, a, a humble heart, a hospitable heart, and a sober heart. My question for you this morning is, does that describe your heart? Do you have a teachable heart? Do you have a pure heart? Do you have a humble heart? Do you have a hospitable heart? Do you have a sober heart? Perhaps that's why you're not getting as much out of the sermons that you should be or want to be. A proper reaction to God's word begins by being receptive. But we must also be responsive. We we, we can't just accept it. We must also apply it. And we'll have to leave that second point for next week. Because we have the privilege this morning of welcoming some new members into our church. So let me pray and we'll do that. Father, so grateful for this time and your word, even though we didn't get as far as I would have hoped or liked, but Lord, we got as far as you wanted to uh, get us today. And Lord, we just first of all want to seek your forgiveness for letting sermons go in one ear and out the other and really never doing anything about what we hear. And we know that that dishonors you, that displeases you, And really, at the end of the day, it disobeys you, and so we just thank you for this reminder of the kind of heart we need to cultivate as we sit under the teaching of your word. Would you work these things, these characteristics, into our lives, into our minds, into our hearts so that we would be able to receive your word and get the most out of the sermons that we hear and that they would um, really have a transforming effect on our lives and to to conform us more to the image of Christ so that as we leave this place, Lord, Christ would be all over us and and shining through us and others would be attracted to him uh, through our testimony, we pray in his name, amen.